It was the summer of 2017 when I first experienced autoflowering cannabis. I was standing in the fields with Seth and Eric Crawford of Oregon CBD Seeds, looking at gorgeous and fabulously smelling acres and acres of cannabis that was ready to harvest in the beginning of September. My regular plants at home had another six weeks left to flower, six weeks that would leave me in the face of October rains. But these fields in front of me were finished and ready to be cut and dried. That is when I first understood the potential for autoflowers. Then, in the summer of 2018, I grew my first autoflower seeds and spent the entire run realizing the major impact that these seeds were going to have on home growing and the industry as a whole over the next 10 years. Finally, solid cultivars of autoflowers were available, and I knew that home growers, patients, and some commercial growers were going to be astonished when they had a chance to trial them. By September, my autoflowers were out of the ground, dried, and in jars, well ahead of the rains. My regular photoperiod seeds were in the greenhouse still and preparing for the harsh October cold. Then at Emerald Cup last year, I found myself standing with Jeff Lowenfels, chatting about how I thought autos were going to change the face of home grow. And Jeff smiled and said that he agreed, and that in fact, as a gardening columnist for over 40 years, he saw autoflowers as the new tomato plant. That these new autoflower varieties were the threshold moment where cannabis cultivation made the crossover to regular folks. And that Jeff had written a book about them. Jeff and I each looked at each other like we shared a secret that was going to excite everybody. I went home and programmed an entire year of autoflower content for 2019. A Shaping Fire Live on autoflowers at Cultivation Classic, a Vimeo meeting focused on autoflowers for cannabis patients, a standing room only presentation on autoflowers I did at Indo Expo, and a slew of videos helping shine some light on autoflower breeders and to get the message out that autoflowers had grown up. This episode of Shaping Fire is the last of the autoflowering program I put together for 2019, and it's beautiful because it brings me full circle to where I started this cycle, with Jeff. If you want to learn about cannabis health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos, too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive that newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Los. Today, my guest is gardening columnist and Lord of the Roots, Jeff Lowenfels. Jeff has been an award-winning gardening columnist for over 40 years. He is a recovering attorney who fell in love with plants. He is author of the seminal teeming series of Teeming with Microbes, Teeming with Nutrients, and Teeming with Fungi. His new book, DIY Autoflowering Cannabis, An Easy Way to Grow Your Own, comes out today. Today, Jeff and I are going to talk about how autoflowers are going to revolutionize home grow. Welcome to the show, Jeff. 
Always a pleasure to be here. How are you doing today? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic here. We've been getting a lot of rain here, which concerns everybody who's growing in the Pacific Northwest, but we've gotten three days of sun, so everybody's uh, sitting in a little bit of false hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully it'll come true. Yeah, totally. And that actually, that'll play into today's topic really well. So congratulations on your new book out today on Autoflowers. I am so excited. Uh, it's such a, such a departure from what I normally do. Uh, but it was it was just one of those things I just felt I had to do. And, and so it's out today. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You should be able to get it at bookstores. Um, we'll see. I don't you know. It's hard to say uh, uh, what the distribution is going to be. You never know. It's a cannabis book. And of course, there's still that stigma, you know, but but uh, people people uh, who've, who've taken a look at this tell me that maybe this book's going to help lift that stigma a little bit. So we hope so. Let's see. Well, as someone who's already had an opportunity to read it, um, uh, I think it's fantastic. I think it not only will increase or decrease the stigma, but increase the number of people dabbling in cannabis, which is which is really fun, right? Because up to this point, you've had to have a certain amount of chutzpah to get into cannabis and to grow it, either because it was illegal and you're going to have to go through all this high stuff, or if it was legal in your state to grow a few plants, you had to feel especially confident in, I don't know, in your right, in, in your right to do that, right? Because even though something might be legal to grow, you still might get shamed by your family or neighbors or whatever. And so I think your, your book um, helps create support for those people who just want to grow plants. Really, and th- and that's that's really the genesis of the book. You know, you know me. I'm I'm so-called Lord of the Roots. I, I write books about soil and and you know the science behind how things grow organically. Um, and and all of a sudden, here's a book on auto-flowering cannabis. Maybe I ought to mention the name. It's a DIY uh, uh, auto-flowering cannabis, a new way to grow. And uh, so so why did I write this book? You know, it was sort of one of these crazy things that just doesn't seem to be in character. What people don't know is that I also write a garden column and I was invited to speak at the Garden Writers of America. Oh, gosh, it must have been six or seven years ago. And and, and it was the first talk on uh, cannabis that this organization's had. These are the radio people and the TV people and newspaper and magazine people, et cetera. You know. And so I gave this talk about how I thought uh, cannabis was the next tomato. And, and the talk was fine. And people walked away with a lot of excitement about CBD, but it, it didn't have the impact that I, that I was hoping it would have. Cause I, I really, I really think that cannabis is a fun plant to grow. I know it is a fun plant to grow. Anybody who's tried it knows it's a fun plant to grow. It can be a little challenging, uh, but it's a great plant to grow. And if you're a gardener and you like horticulture, this is a terrific plant. Well, you know, one of the reasons it didn't, it, it, it didn't take off as a subject is because these plants are hard to grow. They, they require a tremendous amount of space to start with. And most gardeners don't have a lot of space. They're in a condo. They have a deck. You know, they have a small vegetable garden. When you say when room. you say these plants, you mean traditional cannabis plants, right? Yes, exactly, okay, very exactly, good. exactly. So that so that's why one of the reasons why I don't think garden writers took to this. Uh, the second reason is is that these plants require a photo period. In other words, as anybody who's grown these plants know, they have to have the traditional plants. They have to have more than 12 hours of darkness before they will begin to flower. Now, that causes very little problem 
in lots of places, but in many places, particularly Northern Hemisphere places, um, and I guess if you're on the south of the Southern Hemisphere places, uh, you you don't you don't get that period uh, of darkness until things begin to get very cool. So if you live in Anchorage, Alaska, on September 21st, when we have 12 hours of daylight uh, and 12 hours of darkness, we also usually have a frost. Well, you know, it takes another six or seven weeks for that plant to flower and have those flowers to develop, et cetera. So it's very hard to grow cannabis. And I, and, and, and I became convinced that's why it wasn't taking off in states where it was legal. Lo and behold, my good friend Tom Alexander, the very same guy who told me about the the uh, uh, fungus protecting a tomato root uh, from a nematode trying to attack it, which started my whole adventure into the soil food web and began the whole series of books and everything else, shows me some plants that he's growing called autoflower plants. Now, you know, we all know about autoflower plants. We've heard about them before. They were discovered, uh, you know, and bred. And uh, finally, in around 1970 or so, people started to release these little things called lowrider plants. And they were cute little things. And they didn't have a photo period like the big guys did. And they were tiny. You could grow them in little six-inch pots. Whoa! So that was sort of exciting. But the but the cannabis that they produced was low in THC and very uh, – the plants were small. Cute, novelty, you know, a lot of fun to show people, um, but not, not something really that you would grow to harvest. Uh, fast forward to when Tom showed me these autoflowers about five or six years ago, they were decent-sized tomato-sized plants, and they were without question producing cannabis that was usable. And uh, I said, well, you know, I started to grow them and fool around with them. And lo and behold, every time you, you grew one, it, it was a better plant because the breeding on these things has, has just multiplied like crazy. And because of interests in, the, in getting a plant that is available for everybody, uh, there's been a tremendous amount of work put into producing seeds uh, that produce plants that meet all of the requirements you would ha- want to have for growing this plant as a hobby plant home gardener. Not a cannabis producer, but a home gardener. Your aunt, your uncle, your mother, uh, you know, your brother and sister who don't like cannabis but love to grow tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis. Boom. These autoflowers now are at that point. And so just because, you know, I've got a lot of, a lot of friends who I think would really love it, I, I sat down and wrote a book. And it's not the same kind of book as the teaming book. It's very easy. It's very light. If you are a commercial grower, this is not a book for you. This is a book for Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally at Christmas time so that they can learn about cannabis and then learn about auto-flowering cannabis and the opportunities that it presents. I can certainly imagine that this book is going to be under a lot of Christmas trees this year. And when you were talking about you ta- uh, your, your presentation a few years back at the Gardeners Association, um, you said that you know it wasn't immediately picked up and, and embraced by the, the, the writers and other media people are there. And you said primarily you thought because of the size of cannabis plants. And of course, it was... Um, it, the, the plant itself was still very much in in legal prohibition transition at that time. But my question for you is very specifically because you know the, your your the your whole your book is all about 
um, normalizing cannabis gardening, right? And and as somebody who's been writing a garden column for over 40 years and, and you know, you've won awards and you're very successful at that, what is it about um, gardening columnists which causes them to have to kind of err on the conservative side? Um, you know, I, I don't really, I don't know the answer to it, but, but I bet you do. Yeah, I do. Uh, it's fear. Um, and it's, it, it's fear of your publisher. Uh, which is you know pretty easy to overcome. You just go ask your publisher whether it's okay for you to write about cannabis. It's it's fear of 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 your readership turning their back on you. Uh, you know, a lot of times that when I think about my my core readership, I think you know, it's, and I'm I really shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to say it. You know me. I, I think you know the little old lady in tennis sneakers and. And is she somebody who, who wants wants me to be writing about cannabis or should I be writing about marigolds and, uh, you know, how to harvest your potatoes? So so it's fear. And uh, uh, course, and then, of course, there's that there's that that possibility, uh, you know, that 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 you say something that somehow gets you in trouble with the law. You know, either it's illegal in your state or you you make a suggestion, you know, um, somehow it doesn't fit with the regulation. So so, for example, uh, in Washington state, it's against I think it's still against the law. You tell me uh, to to no, maybe it's not. There's no there's no home grow here. Yeah, no home grow. That's that. That's what I was going to say. And in New York state, when they were trying to pass, you know, uh, Governor Cuomo got convinced by. Boy, I'm going to get you know slammed it on this one, uh, you know, by um, uh, uh, Mad Men to not let people grow their own plants, you know. So, uh, you know, there's there is there's this stigma about, and I'm going to say the word I hate it, marijuana. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear the word marijuana, you know you're talking to somebody that has a stigma uh, about cannabis because uh, it's a disgusting word from my perspective. It's a, you know, it's like putting a statue up to Harry Anslinger who used that word to turn uh, the public against this drug uh, and, and this medicine and this wonderful recreational thing. So, yeah, there's a big stigma there. So when I, and I remember when I wrote my first column <laughs> uh, on cannabis, uh, I always used to tell people, you, you, when you read my columns, if I'm writing about tomatoes, you can apply that you can apply that knowledge uh, to, <laughs> to cannabis. Uh, but but all of a sudden, it was fully legalized in Alaska. And it's been legal here since 1975 in the privacy of your home. But it became fully legalized, uh, medical and recreational. And I wrote a column. And, and I asked my readers, are you going to be upset about this? And boy, oh boy, people were just thrilled. They were just thrilled about it. Because, uh, you know, I think deep down in, you can be you can be pro-Trump, anti-Trump. You can be pro, you know, any one of the Democratic candidates, whatever. Deep down in, all of us understand that the ability to be able to grow a plant is a basic human right. <laughs> and they've taken it away from us in so many places, and, and we want it back. And we're getting it back, and now we have to now we have to use it properly. And so, anyway, that's sort of a little bit of a soapbox stuff. Right on. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the, the 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 little grandma in the tennis sneakers that you're referring to. So, so, um, 
So clearly, those of us in the cannabis scene, we love the idea of promotion of cannabis because in most cases, it's our favorite plant. Um, but right. then, but, but, but your audience that you're speaking to this time um, with your book, your, your audience are people who primarily love gardening and right. the love of cannabis may be new to them either because they're, they've, they're spending a lot of money on topicals and they want to make their own or they've fallen in love with tinctures or, or hell, maybe they've just decided that they, in their, you know, they've gotten over the taboo and they love puffing in their home. Whatever the right. reason, you're speaking to this new audience of, of cannabis enthusiasts. And I would think that what you're hearing from them about why they're excited about the plant is often different about what you hear from cannabis people about why they're excited about the plant. And so I'm curious, what, what kind of unique things are you hearing from gardeners about your introduction of cannabis and autoflowers? that is different than what you were getting from grower stoners like me. Sure. Uh, well, f first of all, I've sort of tested this over the, over, you know, I don't, I don't go out and just write a book willy nilly. I got to do a little bit of, little bit of research, you know, uh, and then I make the rest of the stuff up, but, uh, uh, just kidding, of course. But, uh, you know, I, so I talked to gardeners in the Anchorage area where I, where I live and, uh, ab about the fact that it was legal and now they could grow plants and, and they were all trying to grow regular regular plants. What happens with gardeners is we get bored. Uh, you know, it's you can grow a tomato uh, year in and year out and get great tomatoes. It's boring. It's too easy. And so what we look for are new things uh, to grow. Let's start with new techniques. Every now and then come along, but what we really look for are new things to grow. And you and I've talked about this before. Uh, I remember, and maybe you're old enough to remember, when the snap pea was introduced to the American gardener. Oh, my God. People went nuts. You know, and, and snap peas are now de rigueur. You grow snap peas in your garden. They're easy to grow, blah, blah, blah. They taste great. You can use them in stir fry. And, you know, so, so people grow snap peas, you know. Tomatoes. People bored with tomatoes got into heirlooms. Why did they get into heirlooms? Because it was different. It was exciting. It was, it was a way to introduce new plants to your, to your, your palate. And, and, and so all of a sudden, you get legalized cannabis and people who are really into gardening, who can get their hands on either a clone or a seed, they grow a plant. Uh, and whether, they, whether they're successful in getting a harvest or not, they are excited about growing that cannabis plant all the way through to wherever they get. Because for the true gardener, it's not the harvest. It's not the tomato. It's not the marigold flower, you know, that, 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 you, that makes gardening terrific. It's the process. You know, it's, it's, it's watching the plant grow and develop and, and it's the beauty of understanding you know that there are cells being added because you, you because there are microbes down in the soil that are you know there's a beauty to it all that's that that transcends just that one moment where you pick the tomato <laughs> you know or you take the tomato over to your neighbor and brag about it you know it's the process of growing that makes gardening fun and and cannabis is a fun plant to grow it's 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 got a lot of distinct stages um, and when you when you then go to an auto flowering plant, the fun becomes compressed into the same length of time that it takes to grow a tomato. The plant itself is small. You can grow it in a five gallon bucket. It, you watch it go literally from seed 
to harvest in seven to nine weeks. It flowers or it, it, it shows whether it's going to be a male or a female. Oh, now, isn't that incredible? I never get a phone call. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you end up with a plant that you can't take your eyes off of because it's growing new leaves every day. It's getting bigger literally every day. I, I almost compare it to growing um, uh, a giant pumpkin. They put on 40 pounds a night. <laughs> 40 pounds a night. Well, when you watch an autoflowering cannabis grow, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, and it's bigger. Noticeably so, measurably so. Uh, that's an exciting thing to have happen. And then you add on to that what you and I know, that is that that this isn't just one kind of autoflower cannabis plant. There's cannabis plants that uh, definitely uh, do all sorts of things like CBD production or THC production. You can get different colors. You can expose them to cold, cooler temperatures. They turn purple. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they can become a landscape plant. You can put them around your, you know, your yard, your walkways, uh, you know, on your deck. They're a terrific plant on, on top of being a cannabis plant. So, wow, it made for a great subject book. Fantastic. Well, how about this, Jeff? Why don't we address that uh, that call coming in on your side and take a yeah. short break right now? We'll be right back. You're listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Lord of the Roots, Jeff Lowenfels. Cultivators who grow in living soil are very particular on what inputs they use in their soil. They educate themselves and painstakingly create compost and nutritive teas to create thriving soils that will produce the very best expression of the cannabis plant. Many living soil farmers now believe that, over time, seeds become acclimated to the kind of substrate they are grown in. For example, a seed that was bred in synthetic fertilizers may not immediately know what to do in a living soil environment, slowing their growth and decreasing yield. The Regenerative Seed Cooperative is a different kind of seed bank. The Regenerative Seed Cooperative only provide cannabis seeds that were bred in living soil and using probiotic growing techniques. That way, when you germinate in soil, the seed's genetics will recognize the environment and immediately start interacting with microbes and fungal networks. These seeds are described as bio-intelligent. The number of cannabis breeders participating in the Regenerative Seed Cooperative is rapidly increasing. Already signed on are Bamboos, Stock and Bean, Pacific Northwest Roots, LOS Gardens, Dragonfly Earth Medicine, ITAL Foundation, Bob Hemphill's Cricket and Cicada, Dutch Blooms, Heart Rock Mountain Farms Pride of Lion, Sebring Seeds, and Mount Baker Highway, with more being added every month. These seeds are regulars, autoflowers, and hemp varieties. A significant amount of the profits go to cannabis seed preservation projects available to everyone. Do you want to take every advantage that you can when growing in beautiful, healthy soil? Then consider buying your seeds from the Regenerative Seed Cooperative at regenerativeseeds.com. That's regenerativeseeds.com. Did you know that Shaping Fire has a fabulous YouTube channel with content not found on the podcast? When I attend conventions or speak or moderate panels, I always record them and bring the content home for you to watch. The Shango Los YouTube channel has world-class speakers, including Kevin Jodry of Wonderland Nursery, talking about breeding cannabis for the best terpene profile, Nicholas Mahmood on regenerative and polyculture cannabis growing, Dr. Sunil Agarwal on the history of cannabis medicine around the world, Ben Cassidy of True Terpenes on using terpenes for health in your everyday life, Reggie Godino of Steep Hill on the cannabis genome, and Jeff Lowenfels on the soil food web. 
There are several presentations from Dr. Ethan Russo on terpenes and the endocannabinoid system, and even my own presentation on how to approach finding your dream job in cannabis and why we choose cannabis business even though the risks are so high. As of today, there are over 100 videos that you can check out for absolutely free. Go to youtube.com forward slash shangolos or click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You're listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shangolos, and our guest this week is gardening author Jeff Lowenfels. So during the first set, we talked a lot about your motivations for the book and who the book is for and, and actually some really pretty poetic stuff about the, the enjoyment of gardening that we all share. Um, so, Sorry about that. No, no, that's good. I, I think that's good. And I think that really speaks to the heart of your book, right? Um, this book really is for people who are in love with plants generally and to kind of encourage people who are in love with plants and gardening to come on over and, 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 and start to share in the experience of the black sheep of the family in cannabis. Um, So, so let's give people a little bit of background on where auto flowers came from. You know, clearly we started the episode talking about the 1970s and low rider. um, But, but I've heard you give your talk on auto flowers Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and you talking about where they came from is, is kind of exotic. Sure. Yeah. uh, So there was a scientist, he was working in the Volga River area, I guess that's in the Urals and in Russia. And, uh, and he, he noticed these little, little teeny cannabis plants. And, and uh, he looked at them, and he studied them a little bit. And sure enough, he identified them as a new kind of cannabis, which he called ruderalis, which, which apparently means rubble, uh, because these things grew in these little rubbly, terrible, soily areas. Uh, and what he noticed about them, and, the, and what really caught his attention, was that unlike regular cannabis, these particular plants bloomed before uh, the other ones did, way before the other ones did. And, and when he did his research, he discovered that, in fact, they were not influenced by a photo period. In other words, the, the, the triggering event for flowering uh, is, is increased darkness beyond 12 hours. They bloomed because of genetics. So it didn't matter what the daylight was or the darkness. These things bloomed in set, a set period. Apparently, they came from uh, the uh, they were escapees from hemp plantations, and uh, you know they they escaped and because of evolution, uh, they they you know they figured out that if they didn't seed right away, uh, they they before the frost they weren't going to make it, and so so they they bred into themselves this genetic uh, disposition to flower as opposed to having the normal photo period uh, flowering so so that happened uh uh you know and again it was it was of interest but really nobody could breed them uh, to, to to do anything that made any sense and and it really wasn't until the 1970s when a bunch of stoner guys frankly uh you know started fooling around with them 60s i guess obviously uh and and uh i think i think when they came out in 1971 it was a little bit early uh, they were just they were just a novelty plant. Nobody ever thought they were going to be any good. Um, now, uh, again, you know you know cannabis growers they like to breed things, and so so people continually bred them, uh, not only with uh, each other, 
uh, with, but with their cousins, the bigger sativas and indicas, but also different ruderalis, because you can find ruderalis all around the world, it turns out. So uh, the particular ruderalis that is, in theory, the one used for the lowrider uh, is said to have come from either Finland or Mexico, which I found to be shocking because I thought, oh, they must be in some, they must be in a cold climate, but no. They're Ruderalis in Mexico. They're Ruderalis in Alaska. They're Ruderalis all over. So um, uh, you breed them with different different Ruderalis, and you breed them with different different uh, uh, bigger p- parents, uh, and you end up with different kinds of of auto flowering cannabis plants. One of the things that you mentioned in your your live presentation about autos is is how uh, Ruderalis are are the really only cannabis variety that really thrives in really crappy low nutrient environments. And I find that really interesting because um, not only does it show the the vigor to live that are in these genetics, um, but you also then go and caution people to not feed them like they would a regular cannabis plant. Will you break that out a bit for us? Sure. Uh, uh, they, they do the, 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 the one hand, one set of the parents do grow in, in, very poor conditions. Uh, they grow very quickly. Uh, they've, they've adapted to be able to get what they need from a soil food web perspective. In other words, their exudates uh, produce the right stuff. They get the right bacteria and fungi, and they quickly, they quickly take up nutrients, and they, and they are capable of keeping a very rapid pace of, of uh, growth uh, by taking up their nutrients without any help whatsoever from anybody. Now, you know, we tend to forget that this is a plant that we call weed. And the reason we call it weed is twofold. One, it grows anywhere in theory. And two, it grows quickly like a weed. Uh, well, autoflowering cannabis is the weed of weeds. <laughs> <laughs> it really grows quickly and it can grow anywhere. Uh, what I've discovered, and I think other growers as well, is that if you feed these plants, it messes them up. Uh, at least, at least initially, uh, they, they have everything they need in that seed. If you, if you put them in decent soil, living soil, uh, you're going to get a great plant. If you feed that soil, all manner of nutrients, as people tend to do when they're growing cannabis, uh, you, you end up with a plant that's, that's confused, uh, that, that can't adjust properly, uh, and, and they burn quickly, uh, they grow spindly. And you lose you lose the essence of that great ruderalis uh, that 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 makes this such an easy plant to grow. I think this is probably one of the reasons why so many, uh, I guess, growers who've been growing for a while um, have yet more reasons that they personally don't like autoflowers because you know people work long and hard to come up with their recipe for growing, and autos don't really fit most people's recipes. They they really do. Um, uh, enjoy benign neglect. Like in a perfect right. environment, you'd have a no-till pot that's already set up and you put your seed in there and then you forget about it and then you come back when it's time to harvest. And that freaks people out. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty amazing. Uh, and you can see one of the reasons why it was developed. I mean, you know, if you were if you were a, a, a clandestine grower, you know, you could grow these things under your, under your stairs without ever having to go in and look at them. 
you know, you put an automatic watering system in, you leave the, you leave the lights on for 24 hours. Holy crow. You know, you don't have to do anything to them. You don't even have to give them darkness. Well, that, that makes, that makes for pretty exciting, uh, you know, uh, uh, times. <laughs> Woo. So, uh, so, so yeah, so the, the, these plants really are so easy to grow that it does frustrate the professional grower a little bit. You know, they turn their nose up at them. They're, you know, uh, yeah, but, that, yeah. <laughs> but, but by the same, by the same token, a lot of professional growers use their current system to grow these things and they don't do well. And then they badmouth the autoflower plant, which I have to have to tell listeners are now becoming a normally used plant in many commercial grows, both hemp, well, I should say all hemp, CBD, and THC. In Oregon, the main breeder of these seeds only sells now to commercial growers. And you know the the, the reason is is because they come out so uniform, right? I well, mean, what, only, good, what yes. good seeds are, right? Because that that is one of the challenges with autoflower seeds at this point is you get a lot of different phenos in one pack generally. But the people right. at the top of the autoflower game, um, you know, th- this is not true for all seeds. The top the top right. seeds will all be exactly the same and uniform. But I would say that that is a very small fraction at the very top when most everybody. I mean, this summer we popped a lot of autoflower seeds on Vashon and we would get, you know, a three footers and five footers out of the same pack. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that has to do with the fact that they are so easy to grow. Uh, and so what you've got are a lot of people who are, who are buying seeds and then, and then further selling them on. So you got middlemen selling seeds, you know, yeah. uh, and, and they don't know what they are and, and, and really, you know, they haven't tested them, et cetera, et cetera. Now you and I both know that, that there are companies that have perfected their seed breeding programs and you can find most of these companies. I, I don't think we want to give too many names, but I, you can find these companies by going onto the internet, autoflowering, uh, uh, com. Uh, or, or is it autoflowering? Autoflowernet.com uh, has a, 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 a whole bunch of discussion uh, uh, threads of, about seed companies and which ones are good and which ones aren't. And the companies themselves are represented there. And, and so that is the one area I think needs to improve sort of chicken and egg. Uh, I wrote a book about about a plant that you might have difficulty getting seeds, uh, you know, at your local seed store. <laughs> yeah, that's for so, sure. And, and and for the record, it's autoflower.net. Um, oh, good. Yeah, Thank totally. You. It's funny for being so simple. It's really easy to throw extra words in there. Right. <laughs> I've had that right. challenge myself. But it is a terrific site. And yeah. if anybody has even the inkling of interest in these plants, this is the place to, to go after you buy the book because you will get all of the bud porn that you're accustomed to. Uh, all of the uh, ranting and ravings uh, of technique and flushing, not flushing that you're used to, uh, you know, it's just, but it's on autoflowers. And, 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 I, and I gotta say that, you know, autoflower.net was formed because the autoflower folks got harassed and laughed out of so many of the grower forums that right. they just went and, and did their own. And you can still feel that because the community is very kind. And I actually find that all across the whole autoflower scene, the people who are growing 
growing them, the people who are breeding the seeds. You know, the, the green rush really hasn't come to autoflowers yet. And so no. people are very modest and kind. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's jerks in every scene, right? But but overall, I really enjoy being a part of the autoflower scene um, because it um, it's not as cutthroat as some of the other parts well, of the cannabis industry. Let, let me put it in the vernacular of the book. It's because people who grow autoflowers are gardeners, and gardeners share. They share information. We'll talk about it later on. They share food. You know, the, the gardeners share. It's when you get into the commercial world and you, you know, that you're and you want to get competitive that you stop sharing and you stop being a gardener and you start becoming a farmer, which will, you know, will maybe don't share quite as much as gardeners do. But I think that's a hallmark of gardening, uh, and and I'm hopeful that gardeners who who are capable of growing these plants and have seeds will share them and uh, et cetera, et cetera, because it's it's that's what gardeners do. Uh, and, so, and this is a perfect example. Right on. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the growing of the plant and some of the right. uniquenesses that come with growing a plant that grows so fast. So, right. so I dropped in uh, briefly that that uh, you know the, the plant loves to be. Um, uh, germinated in its soil because it, it's got such a short life. It doesn't like to be trans, transplanted very much because the uh, the momentary stress actually takes a significant part of its of its lifetime. But then I also said that it likes to be put into um, uh, a pot that's already been grown in and has not not fresh soil. So what we think of as no till, and right. and. What I'd like you to talk about is, you know, not a lot of people use no-till techniques yet. People are still of the mind that you have to use fresh potting soil with with every new grow. Right. But at the same time, the the mycorrhizal fungi that you need to form to move nutrients around the pot barely have time to form in the entire lifetime of an autoflower plant. And so um, how do these plants, I mean, we, 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 you know, we've both seen the flowers. The flowers can be as, as large as your forearm. They're huge colas. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, they're, not, yeah. they're not lacking in size. How, how is this plant doing so much in soil that for most people is, is what we would consider new soil? Yeah. Well, first of all, let's talk about this, this, the concept of throwing your soil away every time you grow a plant and then, and then starting over again. You know, that's, that's old school as far as I'm concerned uh, for a couple of reasons, not the least of which it's not regenerative. Uh, it's not sustainable. And, if we're, you know, we, we, we're losing soil like no one's business in this world. And, and uh, we got to be we got to we got to keep it and we got to maintain it. So but so so the, what happens when you grow a plant is, you know, the root system develops. It drips out all these exudates. It attracts the kinds of mycorrhizals, uh, not mycorrhizal. Well, it attracts both mycorrhizal fungi, but it also attracts, uh, 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 you know, the bacteria and the other kinds of fungi that it needs in order to be able to feed itself. Doesn't matter what kind of plant it is. That's just the way plants work. That's teeming with microbes. Um, uh, and and so this particular plant. When you plant it, does just like every other plant, does all of these things. When you plant it in brand new soil, it 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 has to create its own growth channels. It has to uh, really scream loudly to these uh, to these microbes to get in into the zone, uh, and uh, you know it really has to do do some work to establish the kind of uh, environment that it needs in order to be able to feed itself. 
when you plant in a pot that's already had a cannabis plant growing in it, the microbes that support cannabis are already in that pot. They're just dormant. Uh, they're, they're in the right numbers immediately. Uh, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to attract them. You don't have to gather them together. And this is all shorthand for, you know, what happens is the right microbes have to take out the bad microbes so that the right balance is there. So all of this stuff has already happened in your previous grow. And as important, the roots of the plant have an opportunity to grow in the channels left by the old root channel system. And so it's easier for them. Not only is it easier for them, but there are decaying uh, or, or carbon-containing old roots in those channels that are helping to feed and maintain those microbial populations that are supporting the plant. So, so for that reason, it makes sense to grow almost any kind of a plant in a pot that's had a similar plant grown in it previously. Did you just say, before you go on, did you just say that there's karma left in the roots? Uh, well, there's karma and carbon. Carbon. Okay, carbon. All right. But carbon I'm, is I'm like, karma. I, I like the idea of karma, though. <laughs> but it is karma. I mean, you know, that's what, that's, what, that's what makes the plants grow. It's that carbon. You know, carbon is karma. You don't have carbon. <laughs> you don't have karma. You don't have life. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, so you take, then you take a plant that has genetically uh, developed to grow quickly. Whew. Wow. You know, well, if you give that plant what it needs from the get-go, it gets going. Mm -hmm. uh, so we plant these things. Uh, we, you can start them using, you know, the paper towel trick, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I do, I do most of mine that way for one simple reason, because I then I dust both the seed and that brand new root, which which appears incidentally usually within about 24 hours uh as, op as opposed to a little bit longer or almost twice as long with with regular cannabis plants i then sprinkle a uh uh, uh, uh interacetes which is the mycorrhizal fungi that feeds cannabis plants i and so i know i'm getting the exposure on the roots right away and then i plant that in the soil in the pot that I'm going to grow the plant in for its entire life. These plants cannot be root bound. A root bound plant, while it, while they're growing to their initial to their to their size, a root bound plant, you know, has a lot of problems getting what it needs. And you don't want these plants to be root bound because they're growing so quickly. You want them to be able to get whatever they need right away. And, and uh, so you put them in a five or seven gallon pot, three gallon minimum, um, and, and that's it. That's the pot you want to use. Uh, and you don't have to transplant them. Uh, you, you, every time you transplant a, a plant, you are destroying uh, the, the root hairs that, are, that take a while for the plant to come back. Uh, you stress a plant, you can, you can stress a plant out, and it, it can slow down for a week or so. Anytime you transplant it. So, and, and when you yeah. transplant these and they lose a week, that you're because they grow so fast, that's a significant part of their life. It, you know, it's like being away while your kids are going through elementary school. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're back and you go, what happened? You know, yeah, exactly right. You've got to be there for these guys every single minute of the day because they're growing so quickly. So and, Jeff, and, oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so, so 
then the other thing, of course, is to make sure that you've got the right soil. We've talked about the fact that you don't want a soil that's rich in nutrients. It's great to have a soil that's been used once before, uh, at least. Um, but you've got to have a soil that drains well. Any plant needs that. These are just like tomato plants. And so, in fact, hey, guess what? The same stuff that you can use for growing tomatoes you can use for growing these plants. Uh, it's got to have good drainage. It's got to have lots of organics. We do not use chemicals on these plants because we don't use chemicals on any plants. Chemicals are non-organic. We don't go non-organic. We only use organics because it's good for the environment and it's because we put this stuff into our systems. So we want to make sure that they're they're nice and organic. If you have to feed the plant, you wait for the plant to tell you that it needs something. And these plants will. If they need something because they're growing so quickly, you'll see the sign very quickly. And if you get on it very quickly, uh, you, you, can, you can give them what they need. Now, what would you feed them with? Uh, you know, you can get a, 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 uh, you know, a good balanced, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a 222 or something in that area type, type uh, liquid fertilizer organic uh and and uh, you can give that to the plant and and you'll see a different right away compost tea works very 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 nicely uh, uh i like a little bacterially dominated compost tea on these guys so so you see some problems you can use that and you can always water with compost tea all the all all the way along uh because you can't overwater with compost tea it doesn't overfeed a plant uh, so there we go so when we've been talking about these these uh, fast growing plants, uh, I remember the first time I came across autoflowers, and um, and then you brought it home for me at Emerald Cup when we talked about it last year. When when we were talking about how they go from germination to harvest in ninety days, not ninety days of you know flower, but the entire life span and being finished and being not being light dependent, which means that if you live somewhere that's got inclement weather or, or uh, short summers like the Pacific Northwest where I live, or for goodness sakes, Alaska up where you live, but, ah. al but also, you know, the New England states and, and far, uh, far south of the equator, we all don't necessarily have enough summer to, to, to grow regular plants. But then right. you get something like this and you take an autoflower and you can germinate on say June one, and it grows June, July, and August, and you you harvest on September first, well before the rains. Like when I first realized that, it literally blew my mind because this opens up so much for for patients and for gardeners, like you're talking about, and and for uh, uh, you know anybody who does not want to deal with mold and botrytis at the end of the year. Where I'm going with this though is that I had that mindset at 90 days. But then right. now there are these new cultivars that are 60 days, and now people are telling me that they've grown these 30 days, which I have yet to grow, but a 30-day from germination <sighs> to finished flowers, you know, I'm like, I can accept it's not going to be a huge plant, but the fact that it goes through its lifespan so quickly blows me away. My question for you is, is how did we get to 90, 60, and 30-day varietals when they're all crossed with Rudy? Right. Uh, well, uh, there are different kinds of ruderalis, first of all. Uh, and so some, some ruderalis take longer to bloom than others. And, and I was stunned uh, to, to start receiving in the mail different kinds of ruderalises that people have collected. Um, and, and, and so that's the first reason. The second reason is, of course, you're breeding them with plants that also have 
uh, some genetics, and and there's something in some of those plants, you know, that impacts the duration of the of the uh, the growth period. So so it's sort of a double whammy. I, I, it's something coming from the from the sativa indicas, uh, and then it's the difference in in the genetics of the ruderalis itself. Right on. So uh, let's go ahead and take our second short break. And when we come back and do set three, um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, succession planning for autoflowers, which which is an interesting idea with uh, cannabis. Um, but also, uh, Jeff has agreed to talk a little bit about his background, which we haven't really heard a lot about. So that'll be cool. So you are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shangolos. And our guest this week is gardening author Jeff Lowenfels. We'll be right back. Living soil and regenerative cannabis agriculture are surging in popularity, and to implement these biological solutions, real science education is vital. If you are interested in all things probiotic growing, you will probably want to attend this year's Science of Organic Regenerative Cannabis Cultivation Conference. For the third year in a row, co-founders Joshua Rutherford of Dutch Blooms and Leighton Morrison of Kingdom Aquaponics have lined up an incredible array of educators with all new content for the traveling event. They're calling it version 2.0, going deeper down the rabbit hole. This year's teaching staff includes Elaine Ingham on soil biology, Chris Trump and Wendy Kornberg talking Korean natural farming, Kevin Jodry on cannabis genetics, Kelly and Josh from Dragonfly Earth Medicine, Suzanne Wainwright, the bug lady, Chip Osborne on soil chemistry, and many other thought leaders rotating in and out for different cities. So consult the website to know who specifically is coming for each location. There will be a breeding panel, a Q&A panel with the entire teaching staff, and on Saturday night, there will be a bubble hash discussion as well. Joshua has built in significant informal time for you with the teachers. The teaching staff is just as excited to work with you as you are about attending. There is also no advertising during the event. The only vendor booths are for cannabis seed breeders. Your tuition is what's paying the staff, so they'll all be present and attentive to you, not a corporate sponsor. Even better, the conference is not just for folks on the West Coast. Humboldt, California is hosting one event for sure, but the show is going on the road to Vancouver, British Columbia, Portland, Maine, and Whitmore Lake, Michigan. Get out your pen now, because I'm about to give you the website. This is a fabulous opportunity for you to hear from an array of nationally recognized top-shelf soil educators all in one place. Not only that, this isn't just beginner stuff like you get at most conventions. This is an intensive for people like us who totally nerd out on the rhizosphere and growing in living soil. And if you attended last year, be assured that this year is not simply a repeat of last year. Every speaker will present different material than they did last year. The website is regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. That's regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. This year, tickets will be limited in number to preserve the intimate experience and will only be sold in advance online. There will be no ticket sales at the door. So don't wait and miss out on your chance to attend this important gathering of the regenerative cannabis community. Cut through all the misinformation out there and don't miss this opportunity to learn real soil science. RegenerativeOrganicCannabis.com Cannabis is fun medicine and we love to celebrate it. Cannabis connects people and creates opportunities for new friendships. At the Toke Shop, we create custom cannabis-themed jewelry, money clips, rolling trays, and home furnishings that you love. And they also make great gifts, too. I'm Ashley Villafranca, owner of the Toke Shop. I came to cannabis as a patient seeking an alternative to the pharmaceuticals being pushed at me for chronic pain and fibromyalgia. 
I realized that not only was cannabis a huge help in controlling my symptoms, but I found cannabis to be wonderfully social too. Cannabis makes friends. So I took my love of jewelry design and blended it with my newfound passion for cannabis and began handcrafting bracelets, earrings, and friendship necklaces, and then expanded to money clips, rolling trays, and other home furnishings, all made in sterling silver, 14 karat gold, and aluminum, so there's something for everyone's budget. I consider it all to be new age cannabis fashion and cannabis couture. I invite you to stop by my website at thetokeshop.co. At thetokeshop.co, you'll find a wide array of attractive and fun cannabis items starting at only 10 bucks. And if you're fancy, there are very fine luxury pieces as well. And I'm always happy to do custom orders with your name or a particular theme. Come check out my array of items hand stamped with terpenes, cannabinoids, and other cannabis themes. That's thetokeshop.co. Thanks. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is gardening author Jeff Lowenfels. So uh, last set, we talked a, a little bit about how the plant thinks and how best to care for her and um, how rare um, her nutrient intake is. One of the things that we just hinted on before the commercial was the, the fact that uh, she grows so quickly that you can actually do multiple rounds during the summer. And... and um, and certainly you can do uh, cannabis plants end to end or autoflower plants end to end where you you start something in May and then you finish it in uh, July and then go ahead and replant right in the pot. Um, but because succession planning is so rare in cannabis for photo um photosensitive plants, Jeff, I don't think that a lot of people who grow cannabis only and not vegetables understand the idea of succession, succession planning that we get from other quick to bolt crops like lettuces and stuff. Right. And so right. would you go ahead and, and explore <laughs> succession planning and how it can apply to autoflowers that you, so that you've got a rolling harvest throughout the year? Well, there's, there's a couple of ways to apply it. Uh, out, outdoors, uh, if you're a regular gardener, you, you know that you just don't plant a, a, a you know a crop of lettuce or radish these quick growing things uh, you plant several of them and there's two ways to do it one is you wait until your first crop is finished and you plant a second crop or you wait a couple of weeks after you put the first crop in and then you plant the second crop so that you have what's known as a continuous harvest at the end of the season and and uh, that's how lots of people grow lettuce, so that they they have lettuce every every night instead of just having it all you know all at once. With autoflowers, you can do the same thing. You can you can either plant the plant, uh, wait for it to harvest, and then plant a new plant in the same pot, or you can get another pot after two or three weeks and start a new plant, so that you have a rolling a rolling harvest, kind of a nice way to go because it's a, sometimes it's sort of a pain to clean these plants and, you know, prepare them for drying. Uh, it's nice to maybe, maybe extend the process. And if you're an indoor commercial grower, you can use these plants in a, in a similar kind of sort of quasi succession way. If you're growing in your veg stage, you can put these plants in between your, your bigger, the bigger cousins, uh, that have a photo period. Uh, and similarly, once they're in flower, you can do this, you know, the bigger cousins are in, you go to the flower stage, you can do the same thing. You can either start new ones or you can finish off your autos. But normally what happens is your autos flower and, and are harvested 
At the same time, you then flip the switch and get into the flowering stage on, on the big guys. So you go from vegetative to – and it's, it's just sort of neat that you can – Add on to your existing harvest either by repeating the same plant or by using these plants to supplement what you're growing elsewhere. We all have the experience of coming up to harvest and then suddenly having a whole bunch of plants to dry and trim at the same time. And for folks who are not professionals, you know, normally we are hanging the plants in our living room or our, in our basement or the you know, garage or whatever. And we only have a limited num- amount of space there. I mean, heck, some people are, are, are drying in their closets. And that's one oh, thing that's really great for the home grower, the patient grower, the gardener, that if you want to start seeds this week and next week and the following week, um, depending on you know your room, maybe you want to make it every three weeks, this idea that you could be harvesting in you know the beginning of the July and then the end of July and then the middle of September, and then um, it really allows you to be more productive with less space. And also, if you live in a state that only allows four or six plants uh, and, right. and you're going to bother to stay within the law, um, it's like, okay, fine, you know, I'm going to grow my six plants, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do six, four times this summer instead of six, that's going to last all summer. And that's all I get. And sure, granted it generally the, the plants are still smaller than full size plants, but when you add all the grams and the convenience together at the end of the summer, um, uh, for most people, it's going to make a lot more sense to do this kind of succession planning. Oh yeah. And you get to grow different kinds of plants. So I, you know, I don't know about you, but after after a while of you know using the same cannabis week in and week out, like we used to do it during prohibition, when you you know didn't have a source of different kinds, you know, it, it it's not the same. It's not the same high. Uh, it doesn't have the same effect. But being able to have variety, oh yeah, that's the way to you know variety is the spice of life. And so 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 the autoflowers, it's just like tomatoes. I keep saying this is the next tomato plant. You can grow so many different kinds. You can grow constantly, always have a harvest. And and so far, we've really, really been talking about growing them outside, but they grow indoors in the wintertime. Uh, and everybody needs to have a set of lights in the wintertime anyhow for their other plants. Mm-hmm. You know, your houseplants need, need light. If you're a gardener, you need a set of lights. I always try to tell people in America, because I write nationally, you need a set of lights in the winter. We all need lights in the winter. The plants need lights in the winter. Well, if you've got lights to grow your other house plants, you can be growing autoflower cannabis plants as well. And now that there's enough really good, um, you know, full spectrum growing lights out there, uh, it's going to, you know, the same location that can use these plants most like up here us uh, up in the north um right it also helps with our seasonal effectiveness disorder from lack of sun for in in two ways uh, the product itself yeah. as well as the light <laughs> yeah absolutely uh and 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 again as i say and it's fun it's there's so much fun to grow i mean a you know a a, a plant that you've never seen before and unfurling before your eyes is a thing of beauty it's a you know it's a you know it's a mind blower and these plants are mind blowing 
And one of the things that I liked about it is actually one of the things that some people complain about. It's like, okay, yeah, sometimes the seeds um, are, you know, they, they may be, they're, they're stable as far as like herming, but they're not all the same, right? You're going to get a lot of different phenos in the same pack more often than not. And, and they express some traits that are from the ruderalis um, often, um, though, though, you know, these generalizations are certainly not applicable to the entire, you know, uh, family of cultivars. Right. But, right. but after, you know, growing them, this was my second summer growing them. Um, I really, you know, as somebody who loves cannabis, loves the plant, is interested in, in cannabis botany, it was interesting to see all these different um, terpene profiles and and how the plant presents itself over right. the last two years. I, I actually had a, a grower here on the island um, uh, who is a cannabis patient, and she just does a few plants on her deck every year. And, you know, she, she grew a set of auto flowers in the spring, and then she had her full terms. Um, and, she, and when she harvested, or when she was going to harvest her auto flowers, she sent me a picture. She's like, is this, is this smokable? Is this right? And, 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 you know, it, it, it was a particularly unusual looking canvas plant. It was, it was clearly a happy plant with lots of, uh, trichomes and it smelled great. But, uh, for those of us who, uh, grow regular plants, it would, the plant kind of looked like it was all foxtailed. And so for, 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 for those of us who have been growing for a while, be like, there, that is a, that's a mutant. That's a weird thing. But actually, <laughs> the plant smelled great and was awesome smoke, and it was just expressing some of these oddities that come from the rooty side. And so, you know, was it necessarily something that you're going to want to put in the centerfold of high times? Well, maybe, maybe not. It probably would have gotten some really difficult feedback from people. Right. But as somebody who loves to watch nature express itself, it sure as hell is interesting. Yeah, you know, we've 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 become so accustomed to bud poured. Yeah, which is which is sort of meaningless when you think about it. I mean, I'd so much rather see, I love it. I mean, but I'd much rather see a chart that tells me what the terpene, you know, uh, profile is, but and the flavonoid profile, because uh, that tells me what the beauty of the plant is. It's it's, it's not how the plant actually really looks. So, but yes, you're right. It, 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 you get some very strange looking things sometimes, uh, and and you wonder where did that come from. And then you you know you got to you, that's part of the wonder of these things. This is a plant growing before our eyes, evolving before our eyes. You, this is something you would have the capability of being able to breed yourself. Uh, you know, it's 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 just this is why I think it's America's next tomato plant. It's just something that's fun to be with and work with and grow. So and oh. and your and your friend, you know, my I would have said to your friend, don't forget you can grow these in the winter too. Uh, in, indoors, your, yeah. Try that with your yeah. big ones, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so Jeff, before we wrap up, you know, uh, when you and I did the uh, the, t the 10 video Shaping Fire sessions, which since this is going to come out on October 22nd, all 10 episodes are, are now out. Um, uh, and so, so you and I got together and we recorded these and we, we had some time in between um, videos and, and, and you were willing to share some of your background <laughs> with me because – most of us in cannabis know about you as the the Lord of the Roots, the writer of the you know teaming with microbes, teaming with fungi, and teaming with nutrient series. That is is you know essential reading in cannabis, which I didn't understand until later is also essential reading in gardening. But you know for those of us in cannabis, it was it's a holy trilogy. Um, 
but then you and I got to start talking and, and, and I've done enough introductions for you before that, that when I get to the part where I, where I say that you are, re, you know, a recovering attorney, everybody kind of chuckles and we move on. But it wasn't until we talked that I realized what a serious big player power <laughs> attorney you were. And at the same time, you were remaining interesting in gardening. So just because I've never heard this covered anywhere else, will you tell us a little bit about your, your life as an attorney that was running parallel to your interest in gardening? Yeah, well, I went, I went to law school in Boston and uh, while I was there, uh, I was on a date with a lovely young lady who happened to be a nurse and, and uh, we were held up. I was shot. She saved my life. I woke up the next morning. She was there with my glasses and my law school textbooks. And I, I you know, I got shot in the neck. And I, I, I stumbled out, let's get married to save my life. And she said, no, uh, you owe me. But yeah, OK. And then I said, but we're going to go to Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, and so we ended up in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, and I, I, I had a law degree. And uh, I always had a hobby, gardening. Uh, but when I got to Anchorage, Alaska, uh, and was, was practicing law, I discovered uh, that the uh, local newspapers were both published by different publishers. And one of them uh, was a, a, a – but they were both printed by one publisher and distributed by one publisher who handled all the advertising. Long story short, we had a good paper and we had a really bad paper. And in, in a place like Alaska, where we were getting all of our news two or three days late because we were so far away and they had to fly the videos up, et cetera, et cetera, no satellites back then, uh, you know, it was important to keep the newspaper alive. And we did. And I helped quite a bit. And the publisher asked me what else I could do. And I said, I can write a garden column. And so I started to write a garden column uh, uh, as a way to help this newspaper, but also as a way to fulfill my family obligation to write a letter a week to my parents back in New York. <laughs> and my father's a big gardener, and so I would always write about gardening. And so the column sort of became a letter home to my father. Um, and it, then it became a unbelievable legal tool. I was an assistant attorney general. I was going in and out of court on temporary restraining orders all the time. Uh, I was doing really high power oil and gas stuff involving Exxon and BP and Ohio and you know all these big oil companies that deal up in Alaska. I was representing the state, and I was I had the ability to be able to go in and you know I needed to get a judge again uh, on this calendar or her calendar, you know, and the secretary would always say, "Oh, before." What am I to do about my African violet over here? You know, so it became a, a really great legal tool. And, and I remember my first case in the Supreme Court of the state of Alaska against these oil companies sent their lawyers up from all over the, you know, really high power attorneys. My first time in the Supreme Court. And the first question, Mr. Lowenfels, my wife wants to know. What does she do about you? Know, <laughs> and you could see the ex-secretary of army who was representing Exxon understand exactly what had just happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I practiced law and I was I was a, a lawyer. I, I was an assistant attorney general for, for five and a half or six years back in the day when Alaska didn't really have any. Uh, uh, attorney generals. Uh, and so I represented all sorts of terrific agencies, uh, ended up uh, doing a tremendous amount of uh, private practice, uh, mining law, oil and gas law, environmental law. Uh, and I had a client 
who was the governor of the state of Alaska named Wally Hickel, who had a dream to build a gas pipeline that ran right along the oil pipeline that took the gas that was being produced with that oil but was being pumped back into the ground bring it down to Valdez, convert it to liquefied natural gas, and ship it to Japan, Korea, and Taiwan, and solve our balance of payments with all of those companies, countries, as well as stimulate the economy all around the country. So, so I worked on that project for years and years and years. Uh, it was purchased by a Fortune 500 company. Uh, I became the president of the company. Uh, we permitted this unbelievable project, even in the face of the Exxon Valdez oil spill. We had an environmental impact statement that basically came out, you know, two months later in the same area. Uh, we got all of the permits for a project that you've never heard of that was the world's largest construction project uh, that ended up uh, for, for political reasons, and I, I contend some nefarious ones at that, uh, getting killed by uh, the governor of the state of Alaska. Uh, and and so uh, uh, at that point in time, I decided, you know, this legal stuff is – is fun, but uh, it's 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 time to do something else. And well, so I went especially in, when you're doing I, the kind of law that you could turn the keys on your car and your car could explode. Yeah, I was you know I I, I worried about the oil companies blowing up my car. Uh, I, there was no question. Uh, I would I've been told uh, that I was extremely hated and feared. Uh, you know by. BP and some of these other oil companies. Uh, and well, they should hate me and fear me because they, they didn't treat Alaska well uh, and they certainly didn't treat this project well. But it, but in any case, not to be too bitter about it all, uh, I, I during the uh, tenure at the end of this project, now you have to understand that any big project that involves natural resources in Alaska is a transportation play. It all comes down to transportation. We are so far away from everything. We are closer to Tokyo than we are to Washington, D.C., that everything involves transportation. And in the last couple of months of my career with this project, a guy, a truck driver, walked into my office and he said to me, I've got this special soil that we got up here all over the place. And, and I, I want to get it down to the lower 48 states. And it's a transportation play. And you sure know an awful lot about it. Can you help me? Well, lo and behold, it turned out that this soil was very special soil. It had the highest microbiology that anybody had ever seen in soil. Uh, and it was all over the state of Alaska and particularly all over the Anchorage area. And it w turns out to be the soil that grew the big cabbages that everybody knows about. Mm. So I got involved with it. And, and through becoming involved with this guy, this truck driver, uh, I, I met Dr. Elaine Ingham. I was introduced to the soil food web. And when I went out from the, from the project and went into uh, a, a, a practice representing Alaskan inventors, uh, I started to write Teaming with Microbes for regular gardeners because I felt that I had been so betrayed by the gardening industry telling me I needed chemicals and I needed miracle Grow and I needed, you know, weed be gone and all these terrible things when in fact it was the soil food web that ran the system uh, that, that, that it was that truck driver uh, uh, and then through Tom Alexander, a mutual friend of ours, uh, mine, uh, who I, I want you to meet and who, who I dedicated this uh, a DIY autoflowering cannabis book to, uh, 
wow, I just I just got so turned down by the soil food web that I wrote these soil food web books. And and uh, I wouldn't have done it had I not been a lawyer uh, and ran into uh, this this fellow. Uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Great, great way to pull it all together. So before I let you go, I do want to uh, hit on one more uh, growing related uh, question. And, you know, anybody who has emailed with you sees in your signature on all your email, it says, plant a row for the hungry. And I know you're very passionate about this program. So why don't you tell us a little bit to maybe inspire us and get some some more people to participate? Yeah, this is one of those things that makes me cry, you know. Uh, But anyway, uh, so while I was working on this gigantic project, I used to go to Asia once a month and Washington DC once a month. And I was in Washington DC. And of course you would go to Washington DC on a fortune 500 expense account. You go first class. So I flew first class. I stayed at the first class hotel, the Willard hotel. Uh, and I ate first class at expense account restaurants. And I was there one week. It was the coldest week uh, they had ever experienced in Washington DC. The gas was being shut off. They closed the airport. They shut down Washington DC except for tourists who were stuck there. And it was crazy, unbelievably cold. And I remember going to my ho- out of my hotel to a restaurant, which was really glad to see me because there wasn't anybody else around, uh, that was a very expensive restaurant, having a very expensive meal, and leaving with my hands in my pockets because it was so cold with money wrapped around, you know, in my hands. And a guy came up to me and said, I need some food. Can you give me some money? Well, in Washington, D.C., there are signs everywhere that say, do not give money to panhandlers. We have our own system, blah, blah, blah. And so I refused to give the guy money. And he followed me and he said, come with me, watch me eat. And I still, thinking of those signs, did not help him. I ended up at the Willard Hotel. The doorman, you know, saw me coming with this guy following me. He saw the doorman. He ran away. I went to bed that night in my hotel room, which had not just a little, little, you know, chocolate on the, it had a fruit basket, a bottle of wine. I had the worst night's sleep of my life. It was Scrooge. I saw my parents, you know, what did you do to that guy? You stiffed a guy who needed your help. That's not the Lowenfels way. And, oh, my God, I woke up the next morning. It was still freezing. I looked for the guy all over the place. I, I, I had to take my plane home. They finally opened the airport. I got on the flight. I'm flying first class. I'm flying over over your area of Ashen Island, you know, uh, and, and having a great flight, drink. I have a steak and zucchini. And I'm looking down at it, and I can't get this guy out of my mind. And I think about the zucchini and the joke that if you live in Wisconsin and, and you, you park your car at night, you always make sure you lock it. Because if you don't, when you get in the car the next morning, it's full of someone's zucchini. <laughs> uh, you know, it's so hard to you know, give away. And I said, geez, I, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get everybody in Anchorage to help assuage my bad conscience for stiffing this guy. I can still see his face today uh, for stiffing this guy. Uh, I'm going to get everybody to donate one row on their garden through my garden column to what's known as Beans Cafe, our soup kitchen up here. And it was a very successful program. And it helped me feel a little bit better. I only had the nightmare once a month. You know, I only heard my father, you know, you know, once a month. Uh, and, and, and then one day the Garden Writers of America came, came to Alaska for a convention. 
They heard about the program, they visited Beans Cafe, and we adopted it as a national program, and it exists still today. We, we supply tons, tens and hundreds of tons of food a year to supply to, to soup kitchens, to synagogues, churches, uh, you know, food banks, any place that'll take food. The gardener grows it, the gardener harvests it, the gardener takes it in, Nothing slips between the lip and cup in terms of money, no administrative costs, no, you know, you don't have to support anybody. The, it's plant a row for the hungry. And I encourage everybody to plant one row in their garden to feed the hungry. And if you're growing only cannabis, then some of your cannabis ought to go to a vet or somebody that needs medical cannabis because gardeners share. And that's the best way we can possibly do it. We have 30 some odd million people going to bed every night hungry in the United States of America. Unconscionable. Just, just incredible. And then, you know, you, you go out of your garden in Bastion Island and you look at somebody who's left broccoli there or left lettuce because they're sick of, sick of it after the, you know, no. You take it to somebody that needs it. This is, has to be the basis of how we live. So there I am. You can hardly shut me up about it. That's beautiful, Jeff. Thank you very much for sharing that very personal story. Yeah. So with that, it is time for us to wrap up. Thank you so much for sharing uh, so much of your time, not only um, here to talk with us here today, but to put your passion into writing the book that comes out today. And uh, links will be provided uh, for that uh, um, everywhere the podcast is. Um, but just thank you for sharing your good cheer and your joy and your experience and being well willing to put it all on the line with us. Well, you know, I, I, I always appreciate your show. And, uh, you know, now, now I, I've got this book published. It's time to get to work on the next one. Do you, are you ready to share with us a topic yet? Well, I will, I will share with you the topic, but I, but I will tell you my criteria. Uh, and this one will be part of the, uh, the, the teaming series. I hope if the publisher takes it. Uh, but my criteria is it has to be something that's usable by the gardener, okay. you know, and I don't mean just scientific information that's interesting. I mean, something that they can actually employ in growing plants that'll make them a better gardener that they're not aware of and they're not using today i i think i've got something right on well we will certainly be excited to uh check that out when it comes out and i know everybody's going to be excited to have another teeming with book and, and i'll have to like retrain myself to no longer call it a trilogy <laughs> uh, well and i'll have to uh, what are they going to call me you know bach fourth <laughs> A fourth quartet? I don't know what the... Hey, I don't know. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, call me anything you want, but late for dinner. Right on. Well, thanks a lot, Jeff. If you would like well, to hear more about... I, did I just cut you off? No, I was just going to say my pleasure. Very good. Thank you, brother. If you want to uh, learn more from uh, Jeff Lowenfels, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can do that. Um, first, you can follow him on Instagram at Gardner Jeff, um, just straight one word. Um, he also has a website. It's not super uh, updated all that often. Um, the, be the best thing to do is to follow him on Instagram. Um, but you can also check out his uh, website at JeffLowenfels.com. Um, YouTube is where you're just going to find Jeff Lowenfels gold, though. Um, uh, if you just put Jeff Lowenfels in the YouTube, you're going to find lots of people who have interviewed him and his presentations um, on the Shaping Fire YouTube channel. Um, 
uh, I've got you know, you know four or five of his presentations. Plus, uh, we just did a ten-part series of the Shaping Fire sessions with Jeff Lowenfels, uh, talking entirely about um, the soil food web and and life in the rhizosphere. And then, and then, of course, uh, after hearing about the book today, you're totally going to want to pick pick it up for somebody for uh, the holidays, for a present or something. And so uh, that book's link is available um, uh, uh, on the uh, shapingfire.com website, on Jeff Lowenfels's Instagram. And then if you go to the Shaping Fire Instagram or my personal Sh- Shango Los Instagram, um, it, there's a link in the profile of both of those. So it's uh, easy to get your hands on of uh, shipping today. And so do not delay. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose. <laughs>